The following podcast is rated F for fail. Hello and welcome to Failing Fabulously. I'm your host, Shelley Horton, and I'm a big fat failure in so many areas of my life. I feel like I'm just spinning plates as they crash to the ground, so I just yell, look, shiny, pretty things, and I hope that no one actually notices. But others celebrate failure. Bill Gates once said, it's fine to celebrate success, but it's more important to heed the lessons of failure. Let's just say I'm not good at heeding. I need to heed a hell of a lot more. I'm actually not even 100% what the word heed means. <laughs> anyway, in this series, I'll be talking to impressive women like Samantha Wills, Rosie Waterland and Jessica Rowe. They've all turned fails into triumphs. So I'm going to try and find out how they bloody did it. Today, I'll be talking to journalist and TV star Jessica Rowe. She's surfed the incredible highs and the deep lows of working in TV, having worked on channels 7, 9 and 10. She's gone from boned to the bounce back kid and it's just made her incredibly relatable. For me now, where I'm at in my life, what I'm most proud of is feeling comfortable in my own skin. And I'll also get advice from one of Australia's leading psychologists, Dr Tim Sharp, also known as Dr Happy from the Happiness Institute. And I'm going to ask him why others like to see people fail. That's probably a normal part of being human, but normal or natural doesn't necessarily mean healthy or helpful. Jessica Rowe. Shelley Woohoo! I've never had a bad time with you. It's just a fact. You're the best. Just love it. Now, I am so excited that you are willing to come in here and talk about failing fabulously. But before we start, we're going to talk about fails. Can you tell me about your successes? And you've got 30 seconds starting in three, two, one, go. My successes, my girls, uh, my husband, my cats, and my shoes. Yeah, 30 seconds. Oh! You can't. <laughs> <laughs> I t- I'm not good at timing. So I've got 30 seconds. So well, I can do a whole lot more. Yeah. So what about career success? What about, what are you proud of? Oh, it's a really hard question to answer. I think as women, we're not very good at saying, owning, I'm proud of this. I'm proud of that. I've done this. I've done that. For me now, where I'm at in my life, what I'm most proud of is feeling comfortable in my own skin, being that. vulnerable, And feeling okay about that and realising I'm not always going to have great days, but the good days I'm going to grab with both hands and have fun and realise that there'll be some other days that will be a struggle, but that's okay too. So I think that's what I'm most proud of, where I'm at now. All right, let me step in here with a little bit more of a CV on Jess. Jessica Rowe is one of Australia's best-known and loved TV presenters. She's an author, she's a mother of two fabulous daughters, and she's the patron of the Mental Health Council of Australia and an ambassador for Beyond Blue. In 2015, Jess was honoured as a member of the Order of Australia for her mental health advocacy work and her contribution to Australian media. She's recently launched her own website, craphousewife.com, uniting and celebrating other mothers who, like her, sometimes feel they're not the person perfect mother, wife or cook. And recently, after leaving a co-hosting role on Studio 10, she and another former panellist, Denise Drysdale, have started their own podcast, One Fat Lady, One Thin Lady. I loved when I was reading on your blog um, with the girls saying how much they love having you around more. That must feel good. Oh, it makes my heart sing every day. And I'm lucky enough now to be able to take my girls to school most mornings and Giselle, who's now nine, my youngest, you know, she holds my hand 
and says, oh, mummy, I love you taking me to school each day. Allegra, mind you, is about yeah, so five <laughs> steps in front going, you're too um, embarrassing. <laughs> like, no. And, but the, that's terrible. To, for me, that's like red rag to a bull because then, then I go, am I embarrassing? Would you like me to sing for you? And then she's like running even faster. It's terrible. <laughs> I love it. And then I do, you know, like the faulty tower, silly walks. Yeah. And she's like going, no. So I know I, I shouldn't, it, but, but I can't can not? help it. <laughs> and then Petey tears his hair out too because he just goes, you are such a lunatic. Like, <laughs> what What are you doing? What? Like, save the vaudeville act for somewhere else. But I the can't school help it. I'm like, it. <laughs> Here I am. Oh, I love it. Your poor, poor daughters. I'm going to go and give her a cuddle. Oh. Let's talk about a time when you felt like a failure. Now, we know mental illness is not a failing. It's a disease. Yet, when you got postnatal depression, at the time you said you felt like you'd failed. I mean, postnatal depression is a really common issue faced by so many women. And you have helped pave the way for other women to be open about it. But take me back to when you knew something was wrong. Oh, it's hard to say this particular moment. I know early on when I was in hospital with Allegra, the sorts of emotions that I was feeling was a lot more than, oh my God, I'm a brand new mum with a brand new baby. What am I doing? I I didn't want to leave the hospital. I was really frightened about going home because I thought, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to cope. And, but it crept up on me. So, because I was so busy looking like I had it together, I, no one around me was saying, oh, are you okay? I just sort of each day would still put on my cream blush and lipstick, even in the hospital, put my jammies on. But, but I was struggling even then. I couldn't breastfeed. I was getting all sorts of conflicting advice from various midwives who were well-meaning, but But were doing my head in. And I thought, how can I even go home? I don't know how to breastfeed my baby. My nipples are bleeding. I'm, I, I can't sleep. Uh, what am I doing? But at the same time, I had never felt such love. This extraordinary tug. It's like my heart had been taken out of my chest and just the, the love that I had for this darling little baby who Petey and I had gone through IVF to have her. So I knew logically, rationally, how lucky I was Mm. and how I should be feeling so happy and so wonderful. So I put this added pressure on myself of what this moment should be like and how I should be, but that wasn't the reality. I got home and, and I retreated even more within myself. I still struggled with the breastfeeding, but I kept at it thinking, if I can't breastfeed, I must be the world's worst mother. And Petey at the time, he was working for 60 minutes. He travelled a lot. He was away a lot. So, I was able to hide what was going on. How bad it was, yeah. Because I could put on the brave face when he came home. And I remember though, it, it just kept, I wasn't sleeping at night. And for me, and I was so exhausted, you're so sleep deprived anyway, but I couldn't sleep. And my mind would just be racing with all of these way out there thoughts about, oh my God, what could happen? And what could happen to Allegra? And, and it was, 
really long. I was having panic attacks too. Yeah. I'd never had panic attacks before. And, and I was really just each day was more and more of a struggle. And funnily enough, as often things happen in life, I got a call out of the blue from Beyond Blue saying, because I'd done some advocacy work with them in the past with my mum. And they said, oh, we're setting up a perinatal initiative. Could you be our spokesperson? I said, great, you know, putting on my business sort of yeah. voice. Can you send me some information? Yeah. No. It's <laughs> like, actually, yes. a little bit of research here. <laughs> so they sent me all this information and there was a booklet that had all the symptoms of postnatal depression. And, and I'm tick, yep, tick, going, tick. yes, 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 that's me. But then I would hide this away in my top drawer thinking, oh, I'll just hide it away. It'll go away. But no. And I remember every day, more than once a day, looking at this brochure going, Yes, 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 yes. This is not going away. I went to the, uh, like the child, the, sort of the nurse that you go to see who keeps an eye on you and your baby though, primarily. And they give you what's called the Edinburgh test, which is like a checklist of how you're going. But of course I knew how to game that test. Of course. I'm like, yeah, great, 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 oh, great, yeah, great, yeah. great, great, great. So again, I was still hiding it from everyone around me, but, and still trying to hide it from myself, but then realizing. It, this isn't going away. And then for me, when I was really at my lowest, I mean, what had been happening too was I was feeling increasingly disconnected from people around me. It was like there was a pane of glass between me and the rest of the world. And that was such a foreign feeling for me because I'm very so open. engaging mm. normally and laugh and talk and like to connect with people. But I felt I felt numb. And that was such a, a bizarre feeling. Yeah. So that I knew wasn't right. And then when I started to have quite obsessive thoughts about what could happen to Allegra, what might happen to the clock that was on the table if it would fall and hurt her and all these really way out of whack stuff, I, I knew that I needed to get some help. So I spoke to my mum. She was yeah, the first well, person. she would have a lot of empathy. And well, I knew she'd understand and I knew she wouldn't judge. What did she say? Well, mum said to me, she said, promise me you are going to tell your doctor and promise me you will tell Peter. So I made my mum that promise. And so I knew I had to. I knew I had to be doing something. And so I told Petey, first of all, and that was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had because I, f I felt I, like I was a failure. Oh, yeah, of I felt like I was letting down him. Yeah. I was letting down our brand new family. I was letting down our darling girl that we had wanted to have for so long. And so it was very hard for me to, to, to tell him. And I remember on the particular evening, he was home for the weekend from work. I cooked up his favourite meal, schnitzel, still is his favourite, <laughs> and had Rocky Road in the fridge and we watched some telly and we were just chatting and he was said, oh, pussycat, because he calls me pussycat, pussycat, I'm so proud of you. You're doing so well. And I thought, this is my moment. And I said, I'm not. I said, I'm really frightened. I, I'm really frightened that I have postnatal depression. And then Petey, being the beautiful man that he is, what he did, he then took me in his arms and he said to me, it's going to be okay. Oh, my God, it's going to make me cry. But that is what I needed to hear that mm. night. I didn't need judgment, judgment. questions, yeah. which often well-meaning people will say. I've done that to friends where I'm like, let's fix this. That's right. And it's or, really hard because yes. you feel helpless, but just saying. 
you'll be okay. It's going it's to be fine. okay. And you, and that's what I needed to hear that night. I didn't need, as I said, the judgment or the don't be so ridiculous, you'll be yeah. right, so-and-so is far worse off, all those sorts of things, which, as you say, well-meaning people will say, but that is not useful. And so then what Petey did the next day, he then went into the fix-it mode, which was what I needed then. Make the appointment. Exactly. Yeah. Came with me and... And so that, I think, for me, made all the difference. He was my rock when I needed him to be. He was there for me. And then with the help of, with Petey, my family, psychiatrist, medication, I came to realise and learn that I wasn't a failure, that I didn't, I wasn't a bad mum. It didn't mean that I didn't love my baby. I just had an illness and I needed some help to get through that to get back to being me. Why do you think there's still a stigma between mental illness and physical illness? Oh, it's because we can't see it. And and I think there is still the shame attached to it. I understand that shame deeply because what shocked me enormously when I realised that I was unwell, that I had a mental illness, I didn't want to recognise it myself, yes. let alone tell anyone. But for me, the irony was I'd grown up with a mum with a mental illness I'd supported her. Mum and I had done advocacy work together, Together. talking about the need to remove the stigma. There should be no stigma. But when I myself realised that I had a mental illness, I felt so ashamed. And I thought, if I feel ashamed, someone who supposedly understands it, knows where to go to get help, has an understanding family, I have the economic means to get help, all this going for me, and I feel ashamed, how hard is it for so many other people who don't have even one of those yes and and we it's to me it it comes down to we're all far too hard on ourselves we have this ridiculous idea that we have to be great and perfect at everything that's not real life and unfortunately there is this misconception that mental illness is a sign of weakness and it's not to me I have come to learn that being vulnerable And asking for help is one of the strongest things you can ever do as a person. Dr. Happy, a.k.a. psychologist Tim Sharp, why are mental health failings seen different to physical health failings? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Well, I do know, um, but it's a, it's a massive source of frustration because it's, um, well, it's mainly, I think, through ignorance and stigma, through misunderstandings, misperceptions, miss, um, which thankfully we're starting to bust. Um, so in the last probably decade or more, there's been a lot of public education, a lot more people talking about it. So more and more people are aware of what mental ill health really is and what it isn't. And that's that's fantastic um, uh, because it's taking away some of that stigma and making it easier for people uh, to put up the hand to ask for help. Um, but the reality is uh, it shouldn't be seen as any different. Um, you know, we shouldn't be, no one's embarrassed uh, if they break their leg. No one's really embarrassed if they have to have uh, dental work done or their appendix out. Uh, I'm not embarrassed that I have to wear glasses. You know, I'm not perfect in that regard. Well, none of us are perfect psychologically either. Um, and for some people, that goes a little bit further. They have a mental health problem. Let's just acknowledge that and get the proper help. Now, by being vulnerable, and you've written about it, you have, you know, helped Beyond Blue, you've received the Order of Australia Medal because of your work with mental health. Have you had some positive experiences of people you've helped? Oh, extraordinary. And every day, women 
and men will come up to me and talk about their family or talk about what's happened to them. And, and that to me is beats anything. Yeah. It, it all, it reassures me that it was the right thing to do to talk about, to open mm-hmm. myself up, to make myself vulnerable and my family vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I know that was the right thing to do. We're going to do a complete change of pace now because I want to talk about a serious failing of yours, cooking. Oh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I look at your Insta feed and I see the burnt toast and baked beans and I want to order Uber Eats and send them to your children and just go, please have some veggies. Uh, but you have You're turned- not one of the veggie police, are you? I get these I- people, where's the greens? Where's the greens? Where's the greens? Excuse me. Oh, Why would I God. waste my time <laughs> cooking greens when no one will eat them? I've learnt. Pick your battles. <laughs> but you have turned your burnt panko crumbs <laughs> into a shiny new business called Crap Housewife. Where on earth did you come up with the idea, Crap Housewife? Well, like so many things- Totally organically. I, I am a shocking cook. There's nothing organic have, about your cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants organic green shmeen, all that nonsense? <laughs> Give me processed sugar. I want to get into White Gwyneth bread. Paltrow's pantry, <laughs> that immaculate pantry, put processed food in, some sugar, mess it up a bit, Um because that does my head in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, but anyway, yeah. um, how it began was I was talking to a friend who's also a journo up in Brisbane. She had kids of a similar age and we were just sort of despairing a bit. And, oh, what are we going to cook and what are we going to do? Because there's that whole you cook and it's like, I don't like it. I don't want to eat it. And then you're like, well, you ate it the night before. I didn't like it now. And it's just boring and I because I've never been one of those people who enjoys cooking it's not relaxing and this particular wonderful woman said to me do you know there are some people who post on Instagram the the lunches that they pack for their children and I went no you are joking she said no no for real so I had a look and I looked at these immaculate lunches with Perfect. perfect you know watermelon shaped stars on skewers and all this stuff and and initially I looked and went Oh God! Oh, I'm 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 a terrible mother because I make Vegemite sandwiches and yeah. lunch orders most days. And then I thought, no, yeah. bugger this! This is nonsense. I will not be shamed by this. Yeah. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I will start posting exactly what I cook for my family every night with the hashtag Crap Housewife. So that was how it began. And Love it. and what has been. What's so fabulous for me is there is a army, there is a tribe of fellow yeah. crap housewives out there who now who are actually breathing a sigh meals. of relief. Yes, just going. Oh, thank God! It's I can't not me. Plate up my food. Yes, thank God. It's for <laughs> you, Master Chef. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not the only one. And I'm such a believer in humour and having a laugh and having poking fun at yourself in dealing with things. And so for me, I get so much joy out of sharing my fails with other people because then they go, oh, look, look at this, look what I've done, look what I've done. And then other times I'll get wonderful cooking tips from people along the way. Mince, I love a mince recipe. (laughs) I know. Mince is highly underrated. It can be used all sorts of different (laughs) ways. Yes. You have spag bowl far too often. No, I have the bolognese. (laughs) 
with sauce. You see, spag bowl, and then it can be shepherd's pie with mash on top. Then you put the yellow packet sauce over the spag bowl sauce and put pasta sheets. So then you have lasagna. lasagna. Then you add some kidney beans oh and it can be nachos. Wow. It's great. Wow. Yeah. Hashtag mince rules. It does rule. <laughs> mince rocks. Mince is underrated. Mince <laughs> you are hilarious. And also you cannot overcook it. Like it doesn't it, – yeah, it just – it's very it hearty. Nachos. <laughs> it's already a bit chewy, so <laughs> – Dr. Happy, a.k.a. psychologist Tim Sharp. There's almost a tipping point. So in Jessica's case, she's the worst cook I've actually ever seen. But instead of judging her negatively for that, I'm kind of loving and that she's embracing it and celebrating her fail. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, look, I think we can. I think we, we definitely need to celebrate our strengths and I think that's something that more and more of us are trying to do. I mean, that's a big part of positive psychology and the positive psychology movement is not just focusing on what you're not good at and trying to improve it, but focusing on what you're great at. But the reality is we can't be great at everything. We, we just can't. You think about it. If you, if you think about someone who is absolutely fantastic at everyone, it just it sounds absurd, mm. isn't it? So, um, you know, it, whether it's cooking or, or whatever it might be, uh, we have to acknowledge that sometimes. If, the, if it's important enough, we might try to improve it. But for whatever reason, we might not want to do that. And if not, then uh, we can make fun of it. We can celebrate it in other ways. We can find ways around it. And I think that's what Jessica's doing in a, in a great way. Yeah, it's almost like she's taking the piss out of herself. And Aussies love that. We do love that. And that in itself can then become a success. Um, now, you've expanded so much that you have merch. The cat unitard oh. terrifies me. Well, Shelley. The cat unitard. The cat unitard. <laughs> can I please tell you and all your wonderful listeners, please buy the cat unitard because at this point I've only sold two <laughs> <laughs> to my two best friends. I'm not surprised. <laughs> One, I don't want to wear a unitard. Two, I don't want cats all over Excuse it. Excuse me. Oh, my well, God. Yeah, but if you had a dog one because you're a dog I person, a dog you would person. wear I a would dog one. <laughs> yes, you would because you know what is good about a unitard and I'm doing the spruik here yeah. because because Petey is going, Pussycat, there are these boxes of unitards at home. <laughs> Sell them. Like, we've got to get rid of them. I'm going to do this. Okay. What is good about a unitard is for exercise, you love your exercise, it keeps everything in. Mm-hmm. So depending what you're doing, if you're doing Pilates or yoga or running or walking, nothing hangs over. There's, oh, there's no muffin top there's because no there's no muffin, waste. No, no. And then there's a shelf, like there's a boob yeah. shelf in there for the. I would need a little bit of like uh, yeah, but there is metal. One, no, but there's like a shelf underneath. You can adjust the straps. Mm. It's comfy. You are, I'm um, not selling me. Oh, but it, and the other thing when you go to the toilet, you have there. to get nude. But when you wear exercise gear, you've got to pull it down, don't you? All right. Look, if I will. Happily promote your cat, cat unitard. unitard. <laughs> yes, I still have another one hundred and forty-eight to sell. Oh, so, my and God. what's even better? Let me tell you the sizing. So we've yeah. got <laughs> no, we've got small, and the small is known as the Siamese. Okay. Actually, no, sorry, oh. extra small. The Siamese small is Moggy, medium is Ragdoll, oh. and large is the British Blue. So they're all Cute. different cat breeds. So cat breeds. yeah, you love a theme. <laughs> Love no. a theme. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, this is fantastic. All right. Well, honestly, Jessica, from feeling helpless 
to helping others certainly is failing fabulously. You are one of my favourite people Aww. and it's been incredible just to <laughs> talk cat unitards yeah. with you. Who would have thought? Ha- um, how about hashtag cat unitards rock <laughs> along with mince rocks? <laughs> <laughs> cat oh, dear Lord. Rock. I love you, Shelby. There's been, we've, and I think I've counted seven snorts from you. <laughs> That's a record. <laughs> Next week, I'm speaking to jewellery designer Samantha Wills. She's closing her uber-successful company and admits to failing regularly. And she shares a moment where she had to admit to failing publicly. Oh, I failed. I failed daily. You know, I nearly bankrupted our company once. For more episodes of Failing Fabulously, go to where you get your podcasts or find us now on iTunes. Failing Fabulously is researched, produced and presented for Nine Honey by me, Shelley Horton, and whipped into shape by podcast producer extraordinaire Dan McHugh. But if it fails, I'm putting all the blame on Dan. Hey! See ya!